Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In the last two weeks... Something remarkable has been happening in Iran. The world has watched in awe as videos on social media show women marching out onto the streets demanding change. In this clip, a young woman dances as she throws her headscarf onto a bonfire in the middle of the street and a large crowd cheers her on. In another, hundreds of schoolgirls tear off their hijabs and turn on the teacher who tries to stop them. Young and old, demonstrators shout death to the dictator. And the protests are spreading to cities across the globe. From London to Paris to Australia. There have been protests in neighboring Iraq, Turkey and Syria. This wave of protests has been sparked by the death of one woman, Masa Amini. She was arrested by the morality police in Tehran earlier this month. They said she wasn't wearing the mandatory hijab properly. They say she died of a heart condition. But eyewitnesses say she was beaten up in the police van. The Iranian regime is now cracking down. There have been dozens killed, hundreds arrested, and a firm warning was issued by the president, Ibrahim Raisi. He stressed that those anti-government protesters, those people that are sowing chaos, should be prosecuted by the fullest extent of the law. Why has the death of one young woman galvanized a nation? And why do Iranians continue to risk their lives to protest? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, lifting the veil 
why Iranians are burning their hijabs. I'm Ramita Navai, and I'm a British-Iranian journalist, documentary maker and author. To understand how the death of Masa Amini created a movement, you really need to know what it's like to live in Iran as a woman. Ramita lived and worked there for years. So it's a thoroughly depressing and demeaning experience living and working in Iran as a woman because not only do you not have rights, but you brush up against officialdom that is sexist, misogynistic and deeply patriarchal. Having said that, you can have a great life there. You can live in a bubble, insulated against the realities of being a woman in Iran. And I lived some of my life in that bubble. So, you know, if you're privileged, you can go to your parties, you can have normal relationships with people of the opposite sex, you can have a good time. But of course, at some point, you will come up against the regime and that is never a pretty experience. From what you say, it is possible to go to parties, drink alcohol, and the regime sort of turns a blind eye to some of that. The regime does turn a blind eye. It allows Iranians enough freedoms to keep them happy, to keep them off the streets, and it punishes enough Iranians to scare them and to make sure that they're kept in line. So it's a fine balance, but they've been pretty good at doing it so far, up until now. I think it's also important to note that things have dramatically changed also because of this younger generation. They are really tech-savvy. They're on social media. They watch satellite telly. They are heavily influenced by global popular culture. And this has really changed the makeup of Iran's Generation Z's mini-society. There's a real sexual awakening among this younger generation. Mm. So you'll find many young Iranians living with each other before marriage. So many are doing this. The Supreme Leader's Office actually issued an edict calling this shameful and saying that the regime should crack down on this. So this constant pushing at the boundaries means that these boundaries are now in a very different place. And yet, whilst the regime lets some of this slip, it does police the streets in a very different way. And we hear about the morality police. I mean, just explain that concept for us, because I think for most people here, it's just so alien. So the morality police, Gashta Irshad, which is guidance patrols, are out on the streets to enforce Iran's strict Islamic rules, which are based on Sharia law. And that means making sure that men and women, but of course, mostly always focuses on women, are appropriately dressed. You have to cover your hair and you have to make sure that the curves on your body are not noticeable. So you have to wear an overcoat. They also police appropriate behaviour. So I've been stopped by morality police for being in a car with three male friends I wasn't related to. I've been stopped for bits of my hair showing. 
I've been stopped for wearing nail varnish. So you get stopped all the time for all different types of reasons. And by the way, I'm really careful Hmm. when I'm in Iran. When I work, I like to be under the radar. I don't like to stick out. I wasn't pushing the boundaries. I wasn't wearing sexy diaphanous headscarves and tight overcoats. I was really careful and even I got into trouble. And when you got into trouble, what was that like? What do they say to you? How are you treated? It's horrible. So when I was stopped for being in a car with three male friends, they accused me of being a prostitute, of having sexual relations with all three men. On one hand, it's laughable, but on the other hand, it's humiliating, demeaning. I was once stopped and told off for wearing sunglasses on my head. I was furious and I said to the police officer, what are you talking about? These are sunglasses. Where am I supposed to put them? And she said, you were attracting attention to yourself. You are making a spectacle of yourself by putting those sunglasses on your head. So you can see how frustrating it is. Now, what's been happening is that since Ebrahim Raisi, the conservative hardliner, was elected as president, this has emboldened the more conservative apparatus of the state. Now, couple this with your usual cyclical summer crackdowns that happen in Iran. And that's because the weather's hot. And so you don't want to cover yourself the same way you do when it's wintertime. You know, Mm. headscarves are going to be lighter and more diaphanous because it's boiling. And the morality police, oh, they love that. They're out in full force to crack down on summer attire. On top of that, there's another element to this, and that's social media. In the last year or two, people have been taking video clips of the heavy-handedness of the morality police. A mother screaming as her daughter is being taken away by morality officers. And then she gets whacked in the head by this van door as it drives off. And Iranians have been getting more and more angry. And also Iranian men who maybe haven't known exactly what it's like to be a woman on the streets have suddenly been seeing what it is like for their mothers, their daughters, their sisters, their wives and their girlfriends. There's something else that's been happening in Iran, which... It's pretty unbelievable. And that's in the last year, year and a half. Throughout Tehran, throughout the whole city, outside cafes, in shopping malls, in the metro, women have been leaving their homes and going to these places with no hijab. That could also be why the morality police's crackdown this summer has been extra forceful. And given the fear of the morality police, why have these women been doing that? What, what's prompted it suddenly? Iranians are not as scared of the morality police as they should be. So that's also another reason, maybe why this crackdown has been more forceful, because they feel that they're no longer feared. Certainly, I was aware of them, but I wasn't terrified of them. It's a hassle getting taken in 
for questioning, but you know that you're not going to end up with a prison sentence. If you're really unlucky, maybe a flogging, but that rarely happens. Just a flogging. <laughs> Just a flogging. Yeah, I've had friends who have been flogged. That is happening less and less, but yeah, it still happens. That's shocking. Yeah. So amid this, you know, this sort of slight loosening, suddenly comes this one incident, one woman that seems to have changed everything. Take us back to the 13th of September. Tell us a bit about Marsa Amini and what what actually happened to her on that day. So she's an ordinary 22-year-old young woman from the provinces. She's visiting Tehran with her family. Her brother says they'd been on Tehran's metro and when they came out of the metro, they were stopped by morality police officers who told Masa Amini and her brother that she was inappropriately dressed and they were going to take her into their detention centre. Her brother says that he pleaded with them to let her go. He said that he told them that they would just... Simple visitors from the provinces who'd never been to the big smoke, who didn't understand city ways. He begged them. And he says that they were really scared. And the police officers, the morality police officers, came down really hard on them, absolutely refused and took her away. And when you say she's from the provinces, so she isn't one of those young people who are pushing the boundaries. She was dressed how... Most young Iranians in the whole country are dressed, which means she was wearing her headscarf loosely. It's hot. You know, you can see some hair. She was wearing a kind of loose overcoat. It wasn't fitted. Maybe you could see her clothes underneath, and that's entirely usual. And then she gets arrested. And what happens? So she gets taken to Vozera which is the detention centre that morality police officers will take you if you get arrested for inappropriate dress or behaviour. Now, there's video footage of her in the centre, and you can see it looks like a morality police officer wearing a full black, all-encompassing chador, approaches her and looks like she starts trying to reason with this officer, and she's kind of gesturing to her headscarf and her monto, her overcoat, and it looks like she's saying, but look, this is all fine. Now, you then see her bending over a chair and then she falls. It looks like it's been edited. Ah. And what do we think has happened in that edited section? So, there are different stories. Of course, the official version is that she had a heart attack or a stroke or diabetes. She fell into a coma. Three days later, she dies. Her family spoke out immediately and said she was a young, fit woman. My daughter was so innocent. She was very honest. She wanted to start university next week. She wanted to study microbiology. That was her dream, which never came true. Iranian state media are saying she had health conditions. But that's a lie. The medical report was full of lies. I went to the medical office a couple of times. They didn't let me in. The only time she'd ever been really ill was with a flu or a common cold. Hmm. And she certainly did not have diabetes or heart condition. 
then witnesses started coming out. So a witness said that they saw her being hit over the head in the van when she was taken away. Hospital whistleblowers have said they've seen hospital reports that show that she was killed by a blunt force trauma to the head. How soon did the protests begin? In accordance with Islamic law, she was buried pretty swiftly. People started protesting at her funeral. And there are two young female journalists who broke this story. First of all, the young female journalist from the reformist newspaper Shah, who reported on her coma and then her death, and who took a photo of her parents consoling each other outside her hospital room, which went viral. So these pictures were filmed in secret at Masa Amini's grave earlier this week. The day was an important one. It would have been her 23rd birthday. Then there's another young female journalist who covered the protests at her funeral. Now, these were really important stories that went round the whole of the country and sparked the fury of the nation. It's also important to note that these two young female journalists have since been arrested and are both now in prison. Marsa Amini's funeral took place on the day after she died. Since then, the protests have snowballed, despite a violent crackdown. Iran Human Rights a Norway-based NGO, estimates that over 130 people have been killed so far. Despite the danger, demonstrations continued over the weekend in cities across Iran. At the Sharif University in Tehran, a protest was violently broken up by the security forces who chased and arrested students. In one widely shared video, you can even hear gunfire. Reports have become increasingly difficult to verify after the authorities imposed an internet blackout. They haven't unleashed their full might yet. There have been killings, there has been live ammunition, but mostly they've been using birdshot, metal pellets, water cannons, tear gas. So they have been careful not to shed too much blood. And this might be because of several reasons. One, because they know the world is watching. Also because they haven't really come across this magnitude of rage before. Hmm. So they might be worried that more killings will only inflame the protesters, who are fearless, courageous and bold. Coming up, how Iran went from miniskirts in the 70s to women being killed over the hijab in 2022. That's after a message from one of my colleagues. I'm Anthony Lloyd, war correspondent for The Times. It's you who enables me to report from some of the most volatile environments in the world. 
get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And Ramita, to understand just how significant these protests are, you almost have to step back and look at, you know, the history of protest in Iran. And I guess to understand also how women's role within Iranian society has completely shifted within a couple of generations. What was it like to be a woman in 1970s Tehran? So if you're a middle-class woman from a non-traditional, more westernized household, life was great. You were pretty free. When my dad came over to this country, he was amazed to see young men being arrested for not having their tops on in the summer. He thought, God, this is meant to be swinging London and you're freer in Iran. There was also sexual revolution happening. Um, there were women in miniskirts. My mom certainly had her fabulous legs out in Tehran in the 70s. But life was not so great if you came from a religious, traditional family. Then you were pretty invisible, pre-revolution. Most probably your father would not allow you to go to university because headscarves were banned in universities. Headscarves were banned in many public places. So your father wouldn't let you go because universities were seen as dens of iniquity. Hmm. So you already had a country with sort of like a two-track system. You've got the sort of more westernized, more liberal part of the country, and then you've got the religious section. And then the revolution happens. Just remind us of how the revolution came about and how it played out for the country. You've got an increasingly divided nation and you have the Shah who is seen as increasingly repressive. And he's got feared secret police who are arresting and killing dissenters. And people are very careful of what they say in public. The Shah was also modernising at breakneck speed, which meant that many people were feeling left behind. Mm. There was such poverty and inequality. So this all led to a popular revolution. The revolution was initially led by left-wing intellectuals who realised to get the masses on board, they would need popular support, which meant clerical support the masses being the religious, working class, traditional Iranians. The ones who are feeling left behind. The ones who are feeling left behind and the ones who will look to the clerics for guidance. 
So left-wing intellectuals joined forces with the clerics. And what started off as a popular regime was hijacked by the Islamists and it became the Islamic Revolution. Khomeini, almost unknown outside of Iran just a few months ago, returned a hero, the man who from long distance had led the revolution to topple the Shah. What had been a well-planned arrival ceremony soon turned into chaos as Khomeini, riding in an American-made car, led a motorcade through the city. The crowd chanted, Allahu Akbar, God is great, and raced along with the motorcade trying to get a glimpse of the Ayatollah. The streets were lined with literally millions of supporters. And just explain, so, how much life changed after that. Women lost everything. Inheritance rights, child custody rights, divorce rights. As a woman in Iran, not only are you worth half a man, you're worth nothing in law. Everything changed. I was in Iran at the time, and I remember the revolution quite clearly, even though I was young. Within weeks, people were handing out headscarves for you before you entered shops. At that point, it was still choice, but it had become one of the symbols of the revolution. You know, the headscarf had become a symbol even for those who didn't believe it. Then, a day before International Women's Day, Ayatollah Khomeini, this was in March 1979, announced that the headscarf would be mandatory. The day after he made this announcement, on International Women's Day, over 100,000 Iranian women took to the streets protesting Mm. mandatory hijab. Yesterday's demonstration was the nearest thing to an anti-Khomeini rally yet. The imposition of Islamic law here has started with an order to women to cover their heads in government offices. Led by a few Islamic zealots, several hundred men eventually attacked the protesters. Several of the women who stood their ground with considerable courage were stabbed as they chanted slogans for equal rights. Now, these women were told not only by the Islamists, but also by fellow revolutionaries, by the nationalists, by the intellectuals, by the secular left-wingers, by the socialists, by every single political faction you can imagine, these women were told, get back in your box. We've got a revolution to take care of. We've got far and more important matters to deal with than women wearing the hijab. That, of course, was a huge mistake. And yet protests don't f- end in 1979. There is this sort of continuing tradition now, really, of people trying to stand up to the Islamist regime. Take us to 2009. What happened to spark big protests? So it was a contested election result. The hardline conservative Ahmadinejad had been re-elected as president and there were allegations of election fraud. They all came to see this man. The defeated candidate, Mir Hussein Mousavi, who hadn't been seen in public since last Friday. Inching through the crowd aboard his four-wheel drive with a handheld microphone, he told the crowd, our people want respect and for their votes to be counted. Three days after the results were announced, three million 
Iranians took to the streets in protest. This was the single biggest protest Iran had seen since the revolution. These protests were mostly middle class and they were mostly confined to Tehran and a few other big cities. They were not very widespread. Right. But the Islamic regime came down with full force. Numbers are really hard to come by, uh, accurate figures from Iran. But Iranians I've spoken to tell me they think hundreds were killed, thousands were arrested, and there were terrible stories of rape, torture and beatings in prisons and detention centres. Iranians were terrified, which meant that they didn't protest in that way for a very long time. So that hardline approach put a stop to protests then. And yet, they bubble up again a decade later in 2019. But these are slightly different protests. Just talk us through what sparked those. So 2019 were even more significant than the protests that happened in 2009. Because these were the working classes, many of whom had never protested before. Also, if you look at a list of cities and towns where people protested in 2019, it's endless. It's nearly every single bit of the country that you can imagine. And what sparked them? A dramatic rise in fuel costs. So 300% rise in fuel costs. Wow. Protesters blocked a major highway near Tehran. Drivers are restricted in the amount of gas they can buy without paying another hefty hike on top of that. And they became about the economy, about unemployment, high inflation rates. It was about not being able to put bread on the table. 2019 protests were even more bloody in terms of how the regime dealt with them. Reuters reported that over 1,500 people were killed. Thousands, over 8,000 it's reported, were arrested. The prisons were overflowing. And as I said before, these figures are probably the tip of the iceberg. We don't know the real figures. And this is a regime willing to kill more than 1,000 of its own people for protesting. This is a regime which has to kill for its own survival. Now, the difference between these two big protests in 2009 and 2019 is that protesters were protesting against the economy, poverty, political corruption. They weren't asking for women's rights. Now, these are all things that the regime can handle, it can placate protesters by promising economic reform and political reform. But what protesters are demanding for now is very different. And it's not something the regime can give. And that is regime change. Tell us about how significant this moment is. What was it about Marsa Amini's death that seemed to make this a tipping point? So this is 43 years of oppression, is what we're seeing now. It started off as 
a women's rights protest about the right to wear or not wear a hijab, the right for you to have control over your intimate personal life. However, what we've seen is that it spilled over into every single part of society that Iranians think is corrupt and rotten. So I'll give you an example. There's been a hashtag on social media. So young Iranians have been posting why they are protesting. And each sentence starts with four. So they're saying, I am protesting for my brother who was imprisoned. I'm protesting for our polluted rivers, for our environment, for this corrupt government, for my sisters, for the right for my mother to wear a headscarf or not wear a headscarf. And you look at this list of why people are protesting and it's for everything they have endured under this repressive Islamic regime for the past 43 years. And is this every bit of society? Who is out there? Who's protesting? These protests are the biggest threat that the Islamic regime has ever come up against. And it is the biggest threat because they are the most united protests that the country has ever seen. It's across all ethnicities. It's across the sexes. It's across all classes, all political divisions. The whole country has united. And that's why the regime is so scared. Also, we have never seen such defiance in our youth. We have never seen such bravery. There are young Iranian women and girls burning their headscarves in public, chopping off their hair with crowds around them chanting, death to the dictator, shouting, women, freedom, life. There are young Iranian women squaring up to the security forces, squaring up to heavily armed riot police, screaming in their faces, come and get me. And they're not wearing a hijab. A friend of mine said she looked around the street and she saw thousands and thousands of protesters and she couldn't see a hijab in sight. And she said she thought she was dreaming. And what do the morality police do if it's everybody? Well, guess what? The morality police have been withdrawn. They're no longer on the streets, and that will be for their own safety. There's also footage of Islamic militia, Basij, being pulled off their motorbikes and they're being beaten by the protesters. Wow. There's footage of security forces running away from protesters. One of the reasons the regime is flailing and hasn't known quite how to contain these protests is because there's no leader. There's no political group. This is nameless and it's faceless because these protests are everywhere and they are everyone. So there's no one person or one group they can put behind bars to make this protest stop? No. So in, in every other big protest, there's a massive crackdown and those protests end. If this time they're turning on the security forces who would be carrying out that crackdown, what happens? 
well, this is remarkable. And this is the frightening part, because many of us are scared of a bloodbath, that at some point the regime is going to fight for its survival, and that will mean killing, and killing a lot of Iranians to quash this protest and this movement. And Ramita, since these protests don't have a leader and they don't have a set movement, what is it that the protesters want to see happen? So they've been very clear on the demands. Hijab should be optional. And that has grown to freedom and regime change. They won't settle for anything less. They may have to settle. But what is clear is that there is no turning back. So we talked about the protests in 2009 and 2019. Now, there have been protests happening every year since. Small protests springing up across the country. But these have been getting slowly bigger and bigger, with less time in between them, happening with more frequency. So no matter what happens now, even if there is a bloodbath, even if Iranians are silenced, there is no turning back. Something has to give. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the journalist Ramita Navai, who's the author of City of Lies, Love, Sex, Death, and the Search for Truth in Tehran. She's also the host of the Line of Fire podcast. You can find Ramita's piece about the protests in Iran and all the latest coverage at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers today were Sam Chantarasak and Olivia Case. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you found this episode helpful, please do leave us a review. It'll encourage others to hear it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.